What's up, Critical Thinkers? Today is going to be fun. We're catching up with our favorite former Nixium cult members, Sarah and Nippy. Did you ever watch that HBO hit series called The Vow? It was sort of the story of Sarah and Nippy escaping this cult and then helping to take it down. It was a huge hit. And this conversation around cults is still so hot that not only is The Vow season two on its way back to HBO, but Sarah and Nippy have a huge hit podcast called A Little Bit Culty. And it's moving into its fifth season. Not only are these guys having, you know, the deep conversations that feed our curiosity around cults, but they're also really helping a lot of people, people who otherwise have no place to turn. There's a lot of confusion around what a cult even is. And that's what Sarah and Nippy do. They break it down. What's a cult? What are cult characteristics? And I tell you, these conversations they're having are so incredibly fascinating. I was lucky to meet these two on a whim, totally by accident at the park when our kids started playing together, which we talk about in this episode. It's like, hey, so what do you do? And the rest was history. I can honestly say these two are just as cool as they sound. They're so much fun. They're an epic couple together. They have an incredible family. And it's just fun to know them and to catch up with them. So let's do it. Let's jump into a quick convo with Sarah and Nippy, stars of The Vow, The Vow Season 2, and of course their hit podcast, A Little Bit Culty. How are you? Can you see me? What's up? I can see you. <laughs> this How are is you? So cool. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. What's up? Is Nippy there too? Nippy, or are you by yourself? Nippy's, no, we're just figuring stuff out. I was figuring. <laughs> all right. So obviously we all know now we have my favorite whistleblowers on the pod today. It's funny because I mean, some people, we have had a conversation before, um, Sarah, you and I, when I was on the radio and you came in. But some people maybe are hearing you and I talk for the first time. And, and this is the first time we've had kind of nippy in on our convo. But brought I met you at the park. This one. Right, brought in the big guns. <laughs> brought in the big guns. We met at the we park. We did meet at the park. I That's forgot right. about that. That's right. Before yeah. you had heard our story. And I don't lead with it ever. You're like, so what do you do? I'm like, oh, well, my wife and I were in this thing. And you're kind of. I think it came out slowly, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, no, like, it did. I didn't tell trip. him. I was like, we're in this group. And we took it down. And he's like, huh? <laughs> and then he got a little bit more information from you, and then he came back to me knowing the story. He's like, you were the guy in the light. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was awesome because our kids were playing like? in the park. Oh, I loved it. I just thought, oh, my God, this is the best. Because, you know, when your kids are playing with other, you know, their parents are there, half the time these other parents are pretty, like, dull. You know, when you go to a birthday party <laughs> and you have to, like, talk to these more people. About, more than half. <laughs> Suddenly, I'm like, I just hit the jackpot. I have the most interesting <laughs> parents to talk to. <laughs> While our kids played soccer or whatever. So that was cool. And then um, quickly it went to, would you please come on my radio show, please? And because your your show is coming out, season one of The Vow, we knew it was going to be a hit. And it was so much so that now there's a season two coming out um, in a few weeks. But uh, yeah, it was really cool. My only regret is that we never did get together for wine. wine. I know. You guys that was a big regret. I know. Regret. There are a lot of a lot of things I didn't get to do before I left. But I have to tell you, what was funny for me is that I mean, I obviously as a Vancouver native know who Kit Carson is, but I just didn't know what you looked like. <laughs> so like, I just maybe thought your voice sounded a bit familiar. So I was just you know just telling some random d dad dude at the park about my crazy the story. Funny, yeah. The undercover radio guy talking to the undercover <laughs> cult whistleblower, yeah. just hanging, hanging out, hanging out, at, hanging out at parks. It was a recipe for <laughs> <Yeah>. magic. <laughs> And then, um, then you, I, I met you, Nippy. And first I was like, his name is Nippy? I'm like, yeah. that's the coolest name ever. It's like a superhero, like, cool. unique name. You know what? I'm going to reframe it like that. Yeah, right? How did you, how, how did people start calling you Nippy? So it's 
actually pretty benign story. My mom's maiden name is Nippert, N-I-P-P-E-R-T, and that's my middle oh. name. And so it's Anthony Nippert Ames, and uh, they thought it'd be cute to call me Nippy. Well, it is cute. I, I, you know, it was cute till about age seven, eight, and then it then it turns pretty hard on you. It, yeah, it does a one eighty. Because you then, didn't know your yeah. name was Anthony until I were... literally. So when I was like seven or eight, I was like, "My real name? What, what does this mean?" And I was like, "Anthony." So I had a little bit of adjustment. That's so like, boring compared yeah, to Nippy. Yeah, well, you go Nippy That's to funny. Anthony, you go from like rock star to accountant. No offense to the accountants out there, but or to, right. to the Anthony's yeah, out there. To the Anthony's out there. Yeah, okay. How did you get the name Kid? Oh my God. My mom called me, same thing was a nickname for my mom, actually. It wasn't my middle name, but it was, uh, my mom always called Kidder? me kiddo. Hey, kiddo. <laughs> and then it just sort of stuck forever. Um, you guys have a hit podcast. Um, a little bit cultish. No, a little bit culty. Culty. Culty or culty? Culty. A little bit culty. Yes. Um, you're, you're going into season number five. What, what kind of conversations are you having on the podcast and what are you learning? I mean, every, I'd say, I'd say every episode we learn, I get some new nuggets, but we try to focus on uh, survivor stories. So we, the questions are, you know, how did the people get in? What were, what was the hook? Because people are never hooked by like a cult. They're hooked by something else that seems good on the outside. Right. So we want mm. people to see what that good, juicy thing was for us. It was personal development and all these promises of, of um, you know, community and being part of this humanitarian organization, which, of course, now are major red flags for me. But in 2005, that all sounded great. Um, so, yeah, we focus on what was good about the group initially or why people signed up or if people were born into something like an, a religious organization. Why did their why did their parents join this religion, like what was the promise, whether it's eternal salvation or um, a mission to change the world or whatever. And then we we talked to them about what the red flags were all along the way and why um, or what they told themselves to rationalize those things. Because people, you know, both of us had major hits if things weren't right, but we'd been trained to um, override those intuitive gut instincts. And mm. everyone in every group, this, honestly, it's we sometimes laugh that we might get it might get boring because the template's really the same whether it's a religion, or you know what's very obviously a cult or something that's just you know culty elements of cultic behavior. It's always the same thing. There's a real draw of what draws people in. There's red flags along the way, and then there's like things that happen that they can't wrap their head around or justify enough, and they put it on the shelf. We call this the shelf metaphor. And then one day something happens, the you know proverbial straw that broke the camel's back and everything comes crashing down, and that's the wake up. So we always ask, mm -hmm. like, what snapped you out of it? How'd you wake up? And then how are you healing? So our, our podcast focuses a lot on the healing, which is, I think, what makes it different. There's so many... Also, we draw a lot of the parallels right. about the abuses of power that go on inside the cult, aren't proprietary to cults, and they're in a lot of other domains. You just assume that... It's like a weak-minded person who yeah. just got sucked in to something. All these people, these guests you've had are like highly intelligent people. You guys are highly intelligent. And thanks, kid. I'm it really connects. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> no, I, <laughs> because I, I, I am also a sucker for like personal development mm -hmm. stuff, like like the Tony Robbins stuff or the mm -hmm. self-help books. Like I've always loved that stuff. So I thought, oh my God, I could have easily been someone who got involved in that. And I think, I think that's important. It's case by case. And it's also, it, if you know that about people and you're preying on people that want to be better, then that's how that's going to look in this field. 
the kind of people that you are going to attract with personal and professional development are going to be there's certainly some people who are out, down the luck, weak, want community. It's certainly going to attract some of those people, but it's also going to attract people that are going to hear the principles or the alleged principles of the group and go, you know what, that sounds like a pretty interesting thing. I'd like to fortify that more in the world. And that is one of the things that is the lure. And that's ultimately the attraction for a lot of people. And you get together and do that and find that it's more of an ego-based thing by the leader, and you are unwittingly aligned with someone who's doing some pretty ugly behaviors under the guise of doing something noble. Something like, hey, I can be a part of that, or at least peripherally. And in season one, we saw that, uh, you know, the, the creepo, Keith, what's his, what's his last name again? Ranieri. Ranieri. Neary. Sounds mm. creepy. Neary, Neary, creepy. <laughs> I yeah, this threw a vanguard on top of that. Yeah. <laughs> right? And I mean, he That's was better. like kind of a genius right like the way his mind worked I so mean, maybe I don't, I don't know maybe we don't want to compliment <laughs> the guy but I mean like just the way when you watch that the way that he framed things you're you yeah you really sure. really, really you bought it right I think it's important to you know in anything respect the person that's conning you or your enemy or your opponent if you if you are so quick to dismiss it and and minimize it and stuff like that I think you can some of the casualties might be the lessons in it. And, and here's someone who had some pretty good skill sets. Some people would argue, oh, you're stupid for following it. And, and maybe so. Maybe I had, maybe I, there are some aspects of it that are stupid, and they certainly are. Well, we were when naive. We look back in hindsight. However, you know, he misappropriated, articulated some things pretty well. He did make the obvious sound profound. And that was something I was kind of aware of in there. But like, it didn't matter as much as as long as it felt like it was a positive thing. And he used whatever skill sets he had to con people. And so if he's conning that many people, and there's a lot of people that are way smarter than me that got conned by him. You know, there's CEOs of companies. A lot of, of Ivy League grads. You know, the Dalai mm. Lama, you know, was like, there's a lot of people it worked on. And I think if you're quick to dismiss it and say it's not you, well, you need to understand that there's some pretty powerful and influential people that bought the con as well. And you might want to consider that the con is pretty well packaged and then see how you do that in other areas of your life. I think what, um, what Kid said earlier, like watching The Vow, he was able to go, with well, that could have been me. And I think that's how... That's that, a strong person who could say yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, and many people did, truly. after, And that was one of the things we were really happy to be part of something like The Vow because it felt like it did us service in that it showed what we all thought we were getting involved with and what was good about it at the beginning. Because if you don't show what's good, then you're right. Everyone does look weak-minded or stupid. or And truthfully, there was a level of naivete about cults. What I thought a cult was didn't sure. look like that. Knowing what I know now, if I had all this curriculum or education under my belt, I never would have gone in the first place. Sure. Right? So what what people perceive as cults now in this age, in 2022, is very different than 2005. 17 years of podcasts and documentaries and movies and TV series about cults that are not just like white robes and drinking goat blood and, you know really weird dark things there's a lot more out there like oh it can be culty at at a you know a leggings store or a um you know crossfit or something like that there's very culty behaviors that happen all over and if you don't know what the things are what the what the the ways that, that you can get hooked you can fall for it too and that's really our whole goal right now and we're pretty loud about it <laughs> what, what's the fine line between like like you mentioned CrossFit, I've heard that before. Some mm -hmm. studios can be sort of like culty. 
what's that line that, that that's crossed where someone should go like um that that's weird because there are people like they really want to have this yeah. this sort of team yeah. community it's, it's actually um not agreed upon amongst the experts there's different lists and categories and different boxes to to tick off depending on who you ask they'll say something different we we've found and what we talk about with all the guests is like what are the patterns of abuse how are people uh, being controlled and what does it look like and it's kind of a continuum Stephen Hassan one of our guests who's fascinating talks about this influence continuum where things are more or less dangerous like a, like a healthy but maybe culty group might be something like the NFL fans or something where it's it's insular so that's a bit culty and there's a bit of an us and them and there's teams and there's rivalry and like you're bad and you suck and like there's elements of that devotion that are culty but like you can leave your group and your friends will still talk to you maybe <laughs> where you know what I mean whereas in other groups if you leave like if we left Nexium we would have been shunned so that's that's like one of the sort of the distinctions that we ask people if they're just like, is this, is this group culty? But ultimately, what Nippy and I always say to our guests and to our listeners, if you're part of something, you don't like a certain aspect. If they do something that makes you feel uncomfortable, trust that. And it doesn't really matter if it's a cult or just something that's culty. It, it's you, you can make that decision for yourself and be like, do I want to be a part of a group that like we just talked to somebody who was part of a spiritual group that was amazing and they loved it. And then the leader said, if you're going to be late from now on, if you're late, you have to sit outside the door for 10 minutes until we let you in. And the person was like, I don't like that. That feels like using shame to motivate people right. to be on time, yeah. which is a manipulative tactic and if it was me now i would be like peace out like i would never do that but other people might be like oh but this is my community and they must be doing this to teach me something good and 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 they trust the leadership and they trust that decision so they stay and that could be the first of many things that's the slippery slope down to being you know a full-on cult so I, I think it's understanding what is being done in a moment that is not good and is one of the many patterns of a coercive control group yeah, it's got to be hard to leave when we're, we're sort of hardwired for connection. Like, to, to feel like you're isolated or, or to, a, to be abandoned is like almost yeah. your brain, from what I understand, registers it almost like physical pain. It's like it really yeah. hurts to leave a group. So I can imagine like you've got your friends there. These are the people that go to your wedding, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. And then suddenly to leave, it's like that's got to be um, really tough. And we saw really that. Really tough. <clears throat> yes, really you know, tough. I, I felt relieved. Actually, <laughs> yeah, that, oh, yeah. there was that too. I, I was really relieved because there was, I mean, there was five people that I probably would have been friends with had it outside the group, had it not been for the group. Like I felt myself just really dragging people, you know, and trying to lead people to something. It was just, it was a lot of like, it's a lot of labor. Yeah. A lot of labor and with a lot of people I didn't, it wasn't my tribe. Hmm. It's probably more so mine than Debbie's. Yeah. I really uh, yeah. loved the community, but also when we were away from it, I was like, wait, how many people there were actually my friend? I don't know. Yeah. Well, you found out. Yeah. <laughs> you know? That's true. Um, yeah. And um, so that was kind of like, I just didn't feel like, I, it was it was positive for me to like, that was never my network or my group that, that I'd spent time building with and growing. And most of my best friends um, didn't do it. <laughs> I tried and everybody like, oh, didn't take didn't the, take the training, mm -hmm. you know, and, and they tried to get them to join. Yeah, I, well, I tried with yeah. all my friends, you know, and right. a handful did. But like, you know, there's like two or three guys that I really wanted to do it and they didn't. Um, and then I was like, fine, you know, I didn't push it anymore. But they were also like the first two or three that were like right there when this thing blew up. 
mm. you know. So it was it was good for me. I was kind of like integrating back into what I felt like was more my tribe and my people and yeah. Um, the inauthenticity of the group was something that kind of like just grinded at me, and I really just had a hard time with like the faux humanity <laughs> aspect that a lot of people walked around with and the crocodile tears for these causes that they were like, you know, we're building our humanity. It was sort just of really vir- allergic virtue to sig- it. Virtue yeah. signaling before we knew what that meant. Yeah. Mm, yeah. This is like, <laughs> I, I felt like I got that crap out of my system and like I don't have to be around it anymore which was great right there was a real hustle that went with it that we didn't well, even we were like the grind of like building humanity and filling these trainings we didn't really have a life out, much of a life outside of it so there was that relief of like oh we can just be normal but nobody now. was working to do it there's a handful of people that were doing the work to do it mm-hmm. and everyone else was just pretending mm-hmm. you know and and that's that to me is a toxic a- atmosphere like a bunch of people pretending and, you know, a handful of people doing the work. And I, it just chapped my ass. I wasn't, a, I was, it was really glad to be out of it and go back out. And while Sarah and I were certainly going through the most traumatic thing in our lives um, and had to, we had to start over, <laughs> you know, with, with a, with a three-year-old and another kid and like no income on the way. And then being in trauma, um, it was a tough couple of years. It was tough. It was just <laughs> tough. We didn't know where, you know, where to lean and how to lean and then embarrassment and, you know, a little bit of shame that went on with it and having to pick yourself back up. And then, um, but then there, you know, look, that stuff doesn't last. You know, you can discipline your psychology in certain ways and find out what you're made of and, and turn it around. And, you know, Sarah, you know, at the beginning, I think was a little bit of a leader more than I was in that. And then I was able to get my act together and then. I think we both became excited and ambitious to see what we could do out in the world without the shackles of what we were unwittingly aligned with. And here we are. And, you know, when we were watching uh, The Last Dance, the Michael Jordan documentary during COVID, you know, Michael Jordan said, my parents always said, turn a negative into positive. And that became our, our we adopted that as our family motto and down to our kids. Wow. Even when I see that mm-hmm. and just, you know, just, it isn't to say don't feel it and ignore it. It's to go, okay, it's a negative. You can't spiritually bypass it. That's this is a negative, quote unquote negative. It's like, how, how can you flip this? How can you turn this? And here we are, meeting I, Kid yeah, Carson was, in the park. I was kind of and... late to the party on it because I was in the inertia of no, because I didn't want this to be my narrative. And then mm. you got to embrace it a little bit more. And then I think that's what allows you to see the positive ultimately. Well, it's interesting because the whole group was about, you know, personal development. And to leave that and to maybe have a, maybe almost have a, an allergic, allergic reaction to some of those strategies now. Yeah. I was going to ask you, how do you find a new way to motivate and become a better person? I wasn't expecting the Michael Jordan documentary <laughs> to be the answer. Such, I watched it twice. It's so good. It's so good. It's so good. A little bit, a little, we've got a, a vast array of resources. I know you've had Eckhart Tolle on your, on your show um, as well, kids. So we have have him coming up in season five, and that's something we talked to him about: is how do you have a spiritual path um, after leaving a group like this? Because really, the impulse is to throw the baby out with the bathwater and just say fuck all that, because it is so much of it is so gross. But there are truths, and I really actually think that Keith stole from people like Eckhart, like literally took his books from like the Banyan, the Banyan books equivalent in Albany and like highlighted them. He and got then, someone else to do it. Well, he got someone else to do it because yeah. he was lazy fuck. But he, he would then take those principles and then like teach them in a training and we'd be like, wow, that's so deep. But really, and even Eckhart says it like, this isn't, I'm not, I, I don't, this isn't for me. This is just like the truth of uni- the universe and I'm just a window for this like message to come through. 
Whereas Keith would be like, you know, this is for me, me yeah. and I'm just here to, but, you know, don't call me a guru He's because the really humble I'm bragger. just a guy. He's the biggest humble humble bragger. <laughs> but you should call me Vanguard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the leader of a philosophical movement. You, there might oh, be a yeah, blowjob in it for you. Oh, God, do we have to? Oh, God. Yeah, yeah I've never asked about that. I guess I don't want you to. But you, can... No, you can ask anything. I mean, it's yeah, like, like. I mean, they call it a sex cult, but I've never really like dove too much into like the sex stuff. Although I've heard he had a harem and there were like, let me give it the simple. I want to be rude. There's two organizations in this. There's the external veneer, which was really ESP, executive success program. That's what we taught. Which was had a center in New York city, Albany, New York, Monterey, Mexico, Mexico city, Guadalajara, Vancouver, and a satellite center in LA. Right where they would have trainings. That was a curriculum where people came and took like a five-day training, goal setting, blame, working through blame your and responsibilities, working through your limiting beliefs, strategies that you use to keep you where you are, how you could evolve them into strategies to help you achieve better decision making, better communication, and blah blah blah. It achieved, I think, for a lot of people that, and then they pieced out. Now, if you wanted to become part of the mission, right or whatever, a lot of people, not a lot of people, some people moved to Albany, and I think that's where. He could just get his tentacles into you, literally and metaphorically, however he wanted. And mostly mm -hmm. it was women that he targeted, that he wanted to sleep with. And so when you want to go sex cult, that would be kind of the people that lived in that certain area that he preyed on. And, and that was the, you know, he leveraged his curriculum, his skill set, his guru stuff as coach under the guys that he was helping them, which allowed them to be abused. And he was abusing mm -hmm. them. And this is something that we've been also very clear about. Like, yes, it was helpful to use the term sex cult to take it down, to take Nexium down. What we experienced wasn't that. We found out about that at the end, which is why we decided to blow the whistle. Because, you know, if he wants to help people through their limitations through a sexual relationship, that should be on the website. That should be something that you advertise, not, hey, I'm going to do this thing. But once you're here, and this is how we did it, we found out from multiple women, including some who testified, is that he would invite women to start a new company or do a new project within, under the umbrella of Nexium, of which Executive Success was one of the platforms. Based on their principles. Based on their principles, like he invited me to come do an <clears throat> acting program or come and do, um, to be in the new Jeunesse, which is the women's program, the new videos in Albany, all these, all these projects. And then once you were there, and I didn't get past these hurdles because I was like, ooh, something's off, but I didn't know what it was. But many women but shared. Also, we had a life outside yeah, of it. I was we like, were getting married. We were having kids. There were other things that we were ambitious yeah. to do in mm. addition to, right. to we weren't making – we made ESP a large point of part of our life. But, always but we also the, had other things. Always with the eye on something else and a lens to do things in the, right. quote, external world. And so there was other some women by who, themselves. Yeah. So I was going to say exactly. there were some women who were there by themselves, I guess, yes. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, many women yeah. were there by themselves, and they'd moved to Albany because – what a great opportunity to learn from the vanguard himself and they'd get a personal invitation and, and then he would start coaching them and he would say something like well, you know you have intimacy issues or vulnerability issues i can help you with that and then he would start a romantic relationship with them and at some point he would reveal that they weren't the only ones and that there was multiple women and this is it was basically a poly polyamorous um they didn't call it the harem. They called it, but they did call each other spiritual wives, and they many of them knew about each other. Some of them didn't, and some some he kept from knowing about the extent of it. We counted just the women that we know for sure, and it was like well over fifty women. 
at total of the 12 years we'd been there, 50 women. And but at any given many time. Many other attempts at many other. And many other attempts, uh, including me unsuccessfully. But there was, a, at any given time, we, we guesstimated about 12 women on standby, phones on, ready to attend to whatever he needed. And that's. Wow. That's what he had in a, like within walking distance of his condo. Wow, Nippy, yeah. you get to you. Um, I would say no. He didn't target me. <laughs> yeah. Well, he I, but he used Nippy in a different I, way. I wasn't his type. No, I was I mean, stronger than him. He, he's like yeah, a yeah. he's like a little garden gnome. Okay, he's like this little dwarfish, pudgy garden gnome. All right, and then the, then there's Nippy, and I think he used Nippy and his handsome all American apple pie quarterback vibe to be like, hey, look look at the kind of guys that are in here. That's what I think. I don't he didn't do that often because I no, wasn't really the, that the whole company used you. You were like you were like a Sears catalog at the front of Nexium. <laughs> like, see so, to the sex cult. Um moniker, I can say this. Moniker. Um I think it the problem with the sex cult thing is like once the media gets a hold of it, it, it makes it really hard to articulate the lessons that come from it because I think it strips the victims of their their dignity in a little bit, right? And so it doesn't create an atmosphere that's safe for them to come out and talk about the abuses, which is why you had so few many people come out and there was a lot of them because they don't want to be humiliated. They don't want to be outed. They've got families. They've got a lot of things to protect. So when someone's like a part of a sex cult, it doesn't really create an atmosphere to articulate and understand the abuses of power that went on, of coercive control. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's even more important for, you know, these conversations to happen because they can't really happen when you're calling, you're shaming everyone and saying they're in a sex cult. Like a lot of people got yeah. hurt. Yeah. And, and nobody, a lot of people got hurt by say. this guy and this stuff goes on because it's been going on, you know, with, I'm not a, a, a a fan of going white men in power and all that stuff and making it proprietary to them because it goes on everywhere. These are abuses of power. And this one happened in a very big, unusual magnitude. And it needs to be understood, unpacked, so other people can understand what it looks like and sounds like. And when you just go sex cult, it doesn't do it very well. It's it, it's not mm. – just doesn't feel appropriate. And, and a lot of those people that he was abusing were our friends. You know, in a lot of ways, we became adversaries at the end because think about it. If if you're in a sex cult, you're in a blowjob ceremony, and you're doing all those things under coercive control, and we didn't go through that, and we're shining a light on it, we're in a lot of ways, in their minds, the arbiter of their shame. And like they're still mad at us, right? But they just want, they don't I want like people it. knowing that about them. And I didn't. I was horrified to find out it happened to them, but also like it stops. Stops now. Right. And if you have to, you know, we all took it on the chin. We were all embarrassed. When, I mean, and, the, when that bomb went off, we were all taking shrapnel out of our bodies. Right. Wow. Like that was just that was that was the consequences to it. And <clears throat> none more so than the people that were closer to him in the quote sex cult. So I think sex cult's a tough moniker um, mm -hmm. for it. I think it's just coercive controlled. And we all got coercive controlled them just worse, I think. In yeah. A lot of ways. Yeah. We don't even have to go here, but like when you were you joking when you said like blowjob ceremony? So no, we found out about that after. So, not so, a here, joke, so yeah. here, so wow. here's here's what we figured it out. If if I'm in control of a group of people, 
and I see that I'm about to lose control of that group of people. And I know I'm wrong. I know the only way to secure their loyalty is do something even more humiliating to them so they will be less inclined to go out me. So if it's a blowjob ceremony, if it's something like that, that will make you beholden to me under your humiliation, which is coercive control, I'm controlling you by humiliating you. And if it comes out that this is what's going on here, you're, gonna, you're not incentivized to tell the truth. That's why people You're incentivized don't. to protect your self-image. Mm. Yeah. Right? And so we've seen it in other groups. Fellowship of Friends is someone we had on where men were non-gay men were in course of control with with another man. This guy in California owns a vineyard and stuff like was that. Was having anal sex with No him. man who fell for that is going to be incentivized to come out and say that he took it, you know, literally. Mm-hmm. Wow. Someone else. So those are the things that will secure your loyalty. You get you get the strength and the power of what these are. And then dismissing it as a sex cult to me just doesn't really unravel it in the way that I think it needs to be unraveled. And and speaking of shame, kid, just to like go back for a second is like you just said something that reminded me. And I'm telling you this because you're in Vancouver. The when I came forward, the Vancouver Sun wrote this article. Okay, this is the headline. Former Nexium sex cult recruiter, hopeful her message can help others. Okay. I'm a former sex cult recruiter, right? So it implies that I knew that, you know? And, and from that's like the, the reason people don't speak out against these things is because they're going to be pigeonholed or labeled or like I mean, most of my neighbors aren't going to watch The Vow, right? Or the teachers at my son's school or whatever. And they just know me as a sex cult recruiter. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's a scarlet letter. It's horrific, actually. Real. That's yeah. unreal. Like the, I'm, I'm like so grateful for the media and so pissed at the media at the same time. Do you know what I mean? Like that's, and that's yeah. largely what fuels why we're doing what we're doing because we're trying to tell people's story responsibly in a way that people can digest and not shame them and have people relate and have empathy and, and learn from the nuggets and not be like, oh, sex call, like how gross, like, ugh, you know? Yeah. You want the attention, but they're going to give you the attention the way that benefits them. Yes. Get those clips. Uh, you know, I look exactly. at the, the attention as just it's an opportunity for you to demonstrate that you're not what's being said and that it actually isn't the narrative. And then however many people are seeking to understand it, we'll seek to understand it. And the people that want to dismiss it are going to be the people that dismiss it. Mm. Yep. No, it really, really hits me, that Vancouver Sun article, after mm-hmm. Nippy hearing what you just said about the moniker of sex cult and then hearing that headline written about you, Sarah, it's like. Oh my God, that's you intense. Know, you know, so you know, yeah, it is intense. And you, you've probably dealt with some similar things. <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah. guessing. Not quite that intense, but, but yeah, enough where you're dropping your kid off at school and the other parents are looking at you like, are you mm-hmm. like nuts? You know, so yeah, I've mm-hmm. experienced that, that sort of, uh, I guess, even though I'm not ashamed, you still sort of feel like shame in a weird way. Yeah, they're, yeah, seeking, yeah. Uh, they're not seeking to understand, they're seeking to shame you. And yeah. that shame keeps people silent. Yeah. And com- so, keeps people compliant. Were there other ways well, that you um, were able to to find healing or strategies? Yeah, yeah. we, we kind of developed a like a six part healing plan. And, and that came from the conversations with so many people from so many different groups that it seemed pretty like clear if you if you self educate. And that means like listening to the podcast, watching the docu series, we actually made a resource page on my website. So if anyone's listening and, and thinks they might be involved in something like this or needs to heal, from something like this, sarahedmondson.com slash resources. Um, 
lot of self-education and then also getting like a proper therapist. So we had been in pseudotherapy for years and we'd actually been taught similar to how Scientology views psychology in general, that it's bullshit and doesn't do anything. We had this similar view of actual therapy. So I had to get over that hurdle and get into real therapy and couples counseling and just work through like the remaining little tendrils that still were in our lives and in our brains. Um, spending time in nature, uh, microdosing, both psilocybin and THC. It's been really helpful for me to chill the fuck out. Um, yeah, I love microdosing. Yeah, I think micro is great. It's too bad it's not. We're in you know in the U.S. It's not um, not, not legal, not yet. Um, and then also finding like a actually supportive community and good friends, and that's been also challenging. Um, but you know, it's just like just doing the best I can for me. Yoga has been great, and it works out. We had a lot of help though. I mean, yeah, we did have a lot of help. Our, our, our angels showed up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'd say two of them are our children. Mm-hmm. You know, I, we saw a lot of people that went through. The similar leaving uh, aspect that we did, and they didn't have children. They, ha- they So they were constantly in the trauma of leaving. They didn't have anything. And, and because we had to leave that trauma and take care of our kids and be present with them, like good parenting is just time in, time out, quality mm-hmm. in, time out. And that became a really great place to just get away from our phone and the riffraff and then and raise our kids. And my love letter to my kids is going to be – you were there for, for us at a really difficult time in our lives, and, mm. and 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 I feel indebted, and not as a father, but just as like they'll never really get how they. I think they saved us and saved the family unit, and it's become something mm. that we've put a lot of our time and energy in, and it's it's thriving. And we're down here, and in just a month, we're 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 really getting kind of a a reaping. The rewards of our efforts. Um, mm. So it's been that to me has been like if I look back and go like yeah my my sons, mm-hmm. you know just the fact mm-hmm. that they could take me out of it and be present and appreciate them and do things with them and sometimes it was hard you know but you having kids <laughs> is tough. <laughs> it's demands on your time. Yeah. So yeah. Um, and and I like those yeah. demands on my time because the other thing demanding my time and energy was like the trauma of a cult. Mm. So I had like real healthy healing with my you know and my wife too i mean we went through it together so we understood each other um but nothing family. like a that pure love from a kid family yeah 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 family too was like you know in different ways you know so. I, I think also being public like it was obviously it was hard and vancouver son etc but it was also you know when you when you put yourself out there that way, people and I'm sure you've experienced this too, kid. People will come to you and share, you know, how they feel and and how they relate and how it's helped them, and that somehow made it worth it. You know, it, it it's to to connect with people on that level past the superficial superficial, which by the way, like, you know, when you've been in something like the vow and people know who know that about you, you can kind of like skip a whole level of friendship to go <laughs> way deeper. You know, it's like, true. It, yeah. and that's a real gift. <clears throat> and the vow, the vow ended up being a gift. The, the vow was a having, gift. Having yeah. two filmmakers seeking to understand this rather than do the obvious documentary of here's a guy, he's horrible, these people followed him, shame on them, and, you know, it's a sex cult and all that stuff. Um, to really go in and nuance and have conversations and get the subjects um, into their psyche while we were going through it 
Like mm. it's easy to do a documentary now in hindsight, but like while we were going through it is what I think made it kind of relatable because I look at it and I wasn't my best self when I went back <laughs> and watched it. Like I was, I, I won, I was a beast in the cage that didn't have a head to crush in a lot of ways. Yeah. I was tempering that. Like I didn't, you know, I was, and my boundaries were up. I didn't want to be asked questions. I didn't want, I didn't really want to be there, but I also recognized I'm not going to let someone else tell our story. And I also mm. recognized I was an important part to support Sarah and what she was doing. And then it became, I've got some stuff to add here. <laughs> yes, um, you do. <laughs> and uh, well, you know, you know, it's, you got to get your feet on. And, and I just, I was very, we had some people approach us before that were clearly just about the salacious story of it. And I, and I was kind of shut down to it. I'm um, so glad we said no. And well, also, they, you know, they didn't seek to understand it. They weren't sensitive to it. They didn't even know what they were looking at. Yeah. You know, and I think the vow did a good job of helping people understand what this was and how it happens. And there's always yeah. going to be people that are going to say, oh, that can never happen to me. And in which case, I'll just ask them who they voted for in 2016. Yeah, right. <laughs> Get it pretty matter. good. You fell, you fell for one of them, right? <laughs> right? You fell for one of them. Hey, we're we yeah. going to get political. Yeah. No, it's, well, it's not, I'm not saying no, a I know. political thing. It's if you're extreme right, extreme left, you're in a cult, buddy. Right. Don't look now. Right. Both extremes. Yeah, no kidding. So, Thank God you had the courage to, to film when you did, even though you weren't feeling your best, because, man, it made it so real. I mean, it really took it you along. It was also relevant. It was. Yeah. I'm, I look back and go, come on. <laughs> Well, you, captured, you captured a slice of life yeah, yeah. right there. But you know what? It, it was honest. You're not going to accuse yeah. me of being inauthentic or honest, and that was kind of what I wanted to bring to it as well. Nobody Both was season. saying, fuck you, Keith, and that's kind of what <laughs> yeah. I was saying. Right, right. Um, yeah, someone needed uh, to do that. Um, so what happens in season two? What we, when, what yeah. we can say is that we're not as – we're in it throughout, but we're not as – it's not so much our journey. It's um, It's a trial. It's the trial and, and some hmm. other key members of the inner circle. Right. Okay, cool. That's what we're allowed to yeah. say, but um, <laughs> I will share. How dare you? Oh, dare you. Sorry. <laughs> um, we, we've, we've, we have seen it, but our, our parts, not everything, and um, it looks great. Like, we were, yeah. <laughs> we were so mad we couldn't watch the whole thing because we really yeah. want to know, too. Like, you have to understand, when we watched season one, we were seeing a lot of things for the first time. Past episode three. Yeah. We were just, what? Like, do you remember the scene where Allison Mack and Keith meet at volleyball and he's like gazing into her eyes and like fucking her with his eyes? Do you remember that scene? So we were seeing that for the first time. Going like, what? Like, she's just getting to Albany for the first time and meeting him and he's talking to her that way and she's clearly like gaga for the vanguard horrific. And then a lot of behind the scenes stuff that we'd never seen. So we're, you know, we're, we know that they've got stuff that they couldn't even tell us because it's mm. so top secret. I mean, I've never been a part of a project that's so hush-hush, but yeah. it's going to be exciting. Also, the, the, the access to things that they had, I just, where'd you guys get that? Where'd you get that? It was amazing to see. like, and, and maybe just a couple of teaser interviews. Like, what do you got coming up for the, the podcast season five? I think the one I'm most excited about is our, our season five debut with um, Evan Rachel Wood who talks about her time in Hollywood and Phoenix Rising, her documentary and her her um, alleged abuser, Brian Warner, a.k.a. Marilyn Manson. And mm. that was a really fascinating and emotional, even though like the content of what we went through is different, there were some very 
crazy uh, overlaps, like we were both branded and in the same place on our bodies. And to, wow. you know, how often, how often do you encounter somebody like that? Very rare. Um, I'll tell you. So to, and to meet with somebody who like is out there doing something that I, I know what that, what that means. Mm -hmm. And at a whole mm -hmm. other level, cause she's got a, you know, a career to lose. Um, it's just, that was a remarkable also, interview for us. Who took the time to go and change the legislation. Yes. She's actually doing I stuff. I mean, this is like, someone who's just not throwing money at charities and throwing a, a black square up on her Instagram page or something like that. She's going, nope, this happened and this needs to be changed. She's a, she's the opposite and of a virtue signaler. She, she, she mm. took the time and, and energy to go change the laws in California and spoke wow. in, in the Capitol in Sacramento. So, you know, she's she's brave and she actually had the moxie to go do what, what she did. Mm -hmm. um, I After that episode, I really want to do an episode on the cult of Hollywood. Mm. Just, just really break it down and I'm just kind of kicking the tires and doing some reading on it and figuring out who we could. He said probably a lot of people that feel that way. Yeah. Um, that might but, be a whole, yeah, that might be a whole season. Yes. Yeah. If you no. have any suggestions, you probably, I mean, it could be, it could be like a four to six part series. We mm -hmm. just get people in there and they talk about yeah. it. Yeah. You know, it's uh, the rabbit hole goes deep. It does. Mm -hmm. It does. I mean, we could do, we could do spinoffs on so many of these, um, we were reading or listening to an Audible book called Stolen Innocence by Elisa Wall, and she's the person who got Warren Jeffs, who's one of the heads, former heads of the FLDS, which is the um, the sect of Mormonism that's does like under like underage marriages and and plural marriages, like polygamous marriage, and um, again, like just really hard to to read to know that this is still happening in the world right now that 12, 13, 14, 15 year old young women are getting married to like 80 year old men who may also be a relative. It's just, it's mind blowing. And yeah. the amount of people that are reaching out to us and saying, Hey, have you seen this group? Have you seen this group? We have, have content. It, it's content for it's like five so, years. It's, I it, can't believe how rampant it is. And we saw a documentary, um, when we got out, we saw Going Clear and we saw Holy Hell, um, the Buddha Field one. And one of the guys at the end says something. He's like, cults are everywhere. He's like, I guarantee you there's at least five in your neighborhood. And I was kind of like, eh, probably not, <laughs> you know, at the time. And I was yeah. like, no, this dude's right. It's like, they're everywhere. And they're not full-blown, you know. They're not branding women. Right, but they're yeah. a little bit culty. Or very right? culty. And, and. You know, oh, it, yeah, and it, but also like keep in mind it ramps, right? Like if you look at Nexium in two thousand five, Keith actually did have a harem back then. It was a group of four or five women, and they lived in his home, and they were cool with that. You know, fine to each their own. And then he's like, "But I'm going to start this group, and I'm going to bring in more, and I'm going to make money off of it, and it's going to be like an MLM." And it's, and and he and he grew it. And he grew it until 12 years later, people were leaving and he couldn't keep it. He couldn't keep them all, yeah. you know, on his and leash. He and he had started to brand them. Couldn't control his appetite. Like either. brand them with his initials. That'll keep him loyal. Like it, it, it all falls apart eventually because these mostly, not all of them, but largely it's these men. There are many women cult leaders as well. But in this case, men who are. Um, trying to have a fresh supply of women and, and money. And it, it mm. always comes down to that. And that's money, that's the thing. Money, like, sex, and power. The sex cult thing yeah. is kind of funny also because they're almost all sex cults. Almost mm. all of yeah. them. Osho which is, which from is Wild Wild men, Country. 
the men do it because the men are the ones that are normally who can't secure the sex in an open, honest way. They have to do it in a coercive way. Mm. Um, yeah. I'm really excited to hear your conversation with Eckhart Tolle. Yes. So you went Tolle. Uh, we, cool. we, we, we debated Tolle or Tolle. Yeah. We even looked it up on the internet. There's no, yeah. there's no consistent. Did you, I say Tolle too, by the way. I say so Tolle. Said Tolle. Yeah. Oh, Tolle. Yeah, no, I really dragged it out there a little bit. Tolle. Yeah, he went. Yeah. Oh, yeah, love Tolle. We're excited too. You know, he's it, great. He, Consciousness. Consciousness. I love the way he says that. I said it like 20 times in our podcast. I'm going to take so much shit for it. I was like, I was like hey, are you talking about consciousness? We're going to take shit no matter what yeah. from this episode because, you know, all spiritual stuff can be seen as a little bit culty, you know, and there's certain tenets of spirituality that in the right hands are beautiful and in the wrong hands are super abusive. Nobody's going to be perfect. So you're always going to have someone who's going to yeah. be like, oh, Eckhart. Oh, I like I'm, him. Yeah, he's great. I, I like him. him. I think he's the real deal, personally. I do too. I mean, his uh, books are amazing. And I interviewed him at the, when I worked at like the pop radio station. So, you know, we were playing like, you know, uh, Britney Spears. And then suddenly <laughs> it was like, Eckhart Tolle's on the show. Other interviews with him and he's, he can really go in a stream of consciousness. In. And then you're like, yeah. I, I was, I was, I was like, should I be asking a question here? Should I? This was definitely the episode that I talked the least. I just yeah, was like Sarah, try, trying to stay present the whole time. Like, oh my God, I got to And it was in person too. It was I was, in, I was, was teasing the... her. I was like, that was your best episode, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, Sarah, you were great. We there. just talked a lot just now. Kid just let yeah. us rip. <laughs> You're so present, kid. You're just like Eckhart. I'm just like Eckhart. Well, this is exciting. Um, what, what, what episode is that? Do you know what number that is? I'm that sorry. will be our second. Yeah. Evan's our first, second? then, then yeah. Evan. The yeah. two, two double episodes. Evan and Eckert. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. We, you guys we, we were debating which to do first, but um, we could have gone either way. It just, yeah. I don't know. It, it was a hard good. call. It was a hard call. <clears throat> and when did when yeah. episodes drop, season five? October 3rd. You were the first, you're the first person to have that information publicly, by yes. the way. Is that right? Thank yeah. you. Yeah, we, we're, about, we're about to announce on our feed, but you're the first interview, so... Okay, amazing. News. Sweet. Yeah. Thank you. We took, a, news. We, took a, yeah, we took a big break because we had to move, we had and, to move and get set up and all that yeah. stuff. Yeah. If anyone and wants it, to test their marriage out there, try moving. Try moving internationally. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's, yeah. What's that fun. like? Can we announce where you guys are living or is it like top secret? Yeah, that's right. yeah we're, we're in Atlanta. Atlanta. We're very public about it. Where I'm from. I mean, the best thing happened yesterday. Uh, you know, I've been, they've been, they're working a minute quarterback and they threw a pass and he's been working on his passing since, you know, last dance COVID <laughs> and he completed his first pass and it was a pretty good play. And he looks at me on the sideline and goes, <laughs> gives me the double guns. And I, was, <laughs> oh, I, I so cried. I, like, I, cr I cried my oh. first football mom tears of, so of proudness. So no, it's been, a, it's been a really good move. It's a really, honestly, one of the key, one of the reasons we're doing it is for a fresh start. It's, it's been mm. a trying 17 years and this is yep. a fresh start for us in a, in a really beautiful way. And America. And America. America. Yeah, America. 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 Oh, I mean, a lot of us want to a lot of us want to get to America right now. Yeah. <laughs> With the weirdness over here in Canada. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Well, you guys are um, a little bit culty there. A little we bit culty. A little bit culty. Sarah doesn't want me to get into it, so I don't really I mean, yeah, well, it's, a, it's a separate episode. It it's is a separate. A whole, episode. It's yeah. just a whole different tangent. But all yes. that said, I could, you know, and I've done this plenty of times. I could break down how the abuses of power that are going on in cults, go on in our governments, both sides of the aisle. It isn't a political statement. It's more mm. optics and articulating it is extremely important. So people can see, 
you know, when they get people get their meat hooks in them, how they did it. And so, yeah, like politics has become, yeah. Yeah. Like it has become like a, a, a psychology hack, like mind controlling people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's your with us yeah. or against us. And that is the first thing they do in cults. For your audience and, and the stuff that you've been talking about, the, the thing that we that we really hone in on, no matter what you believe, no matter what side of anything, any stand, any controversial topic, is that if you can't question and if you get shamed or shunned for putting up your hand and going, wait, wait a second, I just want to know more here, that's culty. And that's problem. That's all. Doesn't matter yes. what side you're on. That's all. Couldn't have said it better. That's that's the whole thing right there. Right. Perfect. Listen, if you guys like get back in Vancouver for a little bit, I hope that we will actually crush we a couple bottles of wine. Yeah, please. We that'd should. Be, that would be great. Yes. Maybe over the Christmas holidays or the summer, yeah. unless you come out here, in which case we'll do it in Atlanta. Sounds like a plan. Sounds more fun mm-hmm. doing it that way. And I'm just, I'm so, yeah. you feel good to see you guys so happy. Likewise. Love it. Thank you. Thanks, and man. thanks for all your support. You've just been like such a, yeah, one, really, one of our really many, our, uh, many angels in this, in it's this time. True. So thank you. Uh, all right, you guys. We'll talk to you Peace. soon. Thanks, kid. You got it. Peace. Thank you so much for spending time with me today. If you have a question or comment about this episode, leave it inside the app. Go to the app store, Kid Carson, or contact me through kidcarson.com. 